Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online worship gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, October 24th, 2021. My name is David Johnson. I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here at Samanach Baptist Church. This gathering will be called to worship here in a few moments by a reading from Psalm, let me find my work here, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8 will call us to worship here in a few moments. A couple of announcements, SBC family. On Wednesday, November 3rd at 1 p.m., this is the first Wednesday of next month, at 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall, we're beginning our uh, midweek, midday Bible study. We'll be walking section by section through the letter that Paul wrote that we know as Galatians. So please mark your calendars. We've been talking about this a midday Bible study opportunity here at the Fellowship Hall, 1 p.m., every Wednesday starting November 3rd. Also Friday, November 12th at 6 p.m., the Proclamation Gospel Choir from Olivet Nazarene University. This is a gospel choir of over 80 voices. They're going to be with us here at Samanach Baptist Church. We are hosting them along with Sandwich Church of the Nazarene. So mark your calendars for this encouraging night of music, 6 p.m. here at SBC. And then the following morning, Saturday, November 13th at 8 a.m., we have our first men's breakfast this fall. So would you join us men for a hearty breakfast here um, in our cafeteria? We're going to be having a couple of different um, batches of mountain man breakfast, some pancakes, some good strong coffee, uh, and then a good conversation about how we can better connect as men and how we can better connect with men in our community. So SBC family, mark your calendars for those opportunities. We're called to worship this morning by a reading from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise always will be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This is God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, open our lips that your praise may always be on them. 
Let the afflicted, let those in need of deliverance, let those whose faces are covered with shame, let those who find themselves poor, let those who find themselves trapped in their troubles be able to say with the psalmist, You deliver us. You are good, and we are blessed, having taken refuge in you. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things, both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the epistles this morning comes from James chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he made to dwell in us, but he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will delight in you. This is God's word. Would you pray together with me, please, one more time? King Jesus, speak royal announcements that by the power of the announcement, the words become reality. King Jesus, speak to your followers. Speak to those who want to want to follow you. Speak to those who even don't want to follow you. May your grace draw us to turn toward you because you have spoken an empowering word to us. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. And all of us said together, amen. Words can create what they announce. Words can create what they announce. Last week at Oracle Park in San Francisco, California, Wilmer Flores was at bat. Max Scherzer for the Dodgers was on the mound, and Gabe Morales was umpiring first base. That is a very important detail. Max Scherzer throws an 0-2 slider. There's two outs. It's the bottom of the ninth. The Dodgers are up 2-1. The Giants have a runner on base. Wilmer Flores seems to offer at the pitch. The home plate umpire does not call it a strike, but the catcher and the pitcher 
beckon the home plate umpire to check with the first place umpire, Gabe Morales, to see if he swung. Gabe Morales, without hesitating, makes the strike sound and says, he went. Those words, to the chagrin of so many disappointed Giants fans, create a Dodgers win. Those words create a Giants loss. Those words created a matchup now between the Braves and the Dodgers for the National League pennant. Words can create what they announce. In the early 2000s, in a Dallas County courthouse in Dallas, Texas, a judge declares to Ulinda, case dismissed. She had been pulled over by a Dallas police officer and wrongfully accused of turning left on a red, which did not happen. So Ulinda went to the court case. The judge declared the case dismissed because the police officer didn't show up for the case, didn't also show up for like half a dozen other cases. It seems as though this police officer had made numerous mistakes that day. With a Dallas County Courthouse judge's words, case dismissed, those words maintained a clean driving record for Ulinda and a wonderful rest of her day. Words can create what they announce. On a humid, overcast day in July of 1998, here at Samanach Baptist Church, Yulinda's father declares to her and me, you are husband and wife. Those words created a oneness, a new reality, a new family. Words can create what they announce. If a major league umpire, if a Dallas County judge, and if an ordained minister can, with certain words, create what they announce, imagine what happens when Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, God of very God, light from light, very God from very God, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the one in whom all deity was pleased to dwell, the one who shares the divine essence equally with the Father and the Son. Imagine what happens when he makes an announcement. This is how we should understand the Beatitudes. Jesus is making a kingdom of heaven announcement. And by his words, he is creating a new reality. One commentator summarizes it this way. What cannot be forgotten is that the one who preaches the sermon, the one who begins the sermon, the greatest sermon in the history of sermons with the Beatitudes, he is the Son of God. That is, he is the Messiah. That is, he is making all things new. The sermon is the reality of the new age made possible in time. And so we must be careful not to distinguish the sermon from the one who delivers it. That is such a critical phrase right there. Because as we walk through the Beatitudes and how early next year as we walk through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we must never, during those times when what Jesus actually says make us uncomfortable, we must refuse to distinguish the sermon from the one who delivers it. We don't get to explain away the words that Jesus says in this sermon and still call ourselves Christian. We don't get 
to say, well, those words don't literally apply to me, unless we have very good reasons to, because the one who delivers this sermon is the Son of God. This commentator continues, the sermon, therefore, is not a list of requirements. That is so critical. But rather, it's a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. To be saved is to be so gathered. So the Sermon on the Mount is a description of a way of life of a people, a people of a new age that results from following this man. I love that summary because it captures that first reality that we cannot forget that the one who gives these Beatitudes this day is the Son of God, the Messiah, God of God. But he's also assembling to him a people because that's the question we're asking as a church is what would it look like for us to be a church that looks like Jesus? A church that's formed, the Sermon on the Mount describes in the words of Dallas Willard, a curriculum for Christ-likeness. And I want us to understand that it's a curriculum for the church as well to be Christ-like. So we begin now slowly between now and Advent to look at the Beatitudes and I want us to consider the first beatitude simply in verse 3 of chapter 5 under three headings. Before we look at those three headings, let me read the beatitudes to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Now there's three headings that I want us to unpack this first beatitude underneath. The first is this, the setting before the announcement of blessing. And again, keep in mind this idea that the King, Jesus, the Messiah, is announcing a blessing and his words are creating a new reality. Matthew wants us to read this way because chapter four comes before chapter five. In verses one to 11, Jesus defeats the strong man. He binds the strong man. He defeats the Satan, that serpent who has been deceiving God's people for all of history. Jesus defeats him with the word of God. And then immediately after defeating the Satan, in verses 12 to 17, he calls his first disciples. He begins his ministry by declaring the word of God, by showing how his messiahship is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. And then Matthew records in verse 17 of chapter 4, from that time Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God in heaven coming to earth, the same word as the kingdom of God coming to earth 
is now present because the king has come to earth. So he then calls his disciples to him. He's gathering together a people. And then after gathering together a people, he notices that there are people who need the healing that the reign of God brings. So in that last paragraph, he begins healing. And then in verses 1 and 2, as Jesus looks at the crowds, he calls his disciples to himself. He climbs a hill. He sits on a rock and becomes to us a Messiah who teaches. So there is here in the Galilean countryside is Jesus is likely sitting on a boulder, not on a mountain, what we would regard more as a hill. And he is, he is occupying the seat of authority. And everyone is on the edge of their seats. There's probably at least three different types of people, aside from the ones who had just been healed, there's probably at least three different types of people who are thinking this could be the Messiah. And they're on the edge of their seats, rather on the tips of their toes. And they're wondering, is this the moment when he's going to call together Israel and we are going to storm the holy city and we are going to take it back for God and his people? There's probably in this group of people called zealots. They believe that the faithful people of God will resort to violence in order to bring the kingdom. And Jesus in his teaching says, no way. We aren't going to defeat a flesh and blood enemy. We aren't going to use the weapons of the world in order to bring the life of heaven to earth. There's probably a second group of people called Herodians. You obviously can see that they've got some connection to Herod. The Herodians believe that through the cooperation of government and religion, the kingdom of God can be brought to earth, the people can be restored, Israel can get her temple back, and everything can go back to the glory days like they had in the monarchy. Jesus says no. He stands before Pilate, a crony of Herod, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples would be taking up your tools in order to defeat you. But it's not. It's from another war, uh, realm. So we've got the zealots, we've got the Herodians, and then finally we've probably got Essenes. And they're like, it's nice that we're out here on the countryside because the Essenes think that, that the faithful people of God will withdraw from society. To them, Jesus says, no, you must be salt, you must be light. You must be near the meat in order to preserve the meat if you're going to be faithful salt. You must be near the darkness if you're going to be the light of the world. So all of these people are on, the, on their tiptoes waiting for how is the king going to begin the movement? And the first words out of his mouth are blessed. And that's a word that makes sense. That's a word that many of these people have familiarity with. If you read the works of Moses, the first five books, there is many times where Moses will say, and we'll look at some of these here in a moment, at the end of the book of the covenant, Deuteronomy, there's this list of blessings and woes. If you read the Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 119, the psalmist will often pronounce, blessed are these types of people. That's a way of saying God is on your side. God is particularly committed to you. So that's the setting 
before the announcement of these blessings. Now, what is second heading? The meaning of the first announcement of blessings. Well, as we've already mentioned, the Old Testament is full of pronouncements of blessing. Psalm 1. So again, the Essenes, the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Sadducees, they're all on their tiptoes. He starts with blessed. What images come to their mind? Well, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this, his law day and night. Something similar is said in Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and keep with, and seek him with all their heart. So you're in the crowd there, and you hear Jesus pronounce a blessing, and then your mind immediately goes to texts like this. And it's good news for you if you have been faithful to Torah. It's good news to you if you aren't associated with sinners. It's good news to you if you meditate on Torah day and night, if you delight in Torah, if you do not walk in step with the wicked. Psalm 119, Jesus pronounces a blessing. That psalm is good news to you if your way is blameless, if you walk according to Yahweh's Torah, if you keep his statutes and seek him with his whole heart. But if those things aren't true of you and you're in the crowd, you're kind of wondering. Hmm. Moses was fond of this. His final sermon in Deuteronomy 28 began with a pronouncement of blessings. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. So that's, as we unpack the meaning of these Beatitudes, this Old Testament background of of blessings and cursings where these texts describe God saying, these are the people that I am with. These are the people whose side I am on. So what blessing does Jesus pronounce in verse 3? Does he pronounce blessing on those who delight in Torah? Does he pronounce blessing upon those who meditate on Torah day and night? Does he pronounce blessing on those whose ways are blameless? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what's helpful for us to consider here is the crowd in this crowd, we've got Herodians, we've got Zealots, we've got Essenes. In this crowd, we also have people who used to be epileptic, who used to be blind, who used to be deaf. We've got the poor, those who've just received the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's helpful for us to remember and, and, and imagine perhaps King Jesus looking at the crowd and saying, blessed are the and him finding a poor beggar, him finding a widow, 
Him finding somebody who used to be blind and who only knows, now I can see. Finding somebody who used to be oppressed by a demon. Finding somebody who used to be sick and having at the end of chapter 4 in Matthew been just healed. He looks at them. He doesn't look at the Herodians. He doesn't look at the Zealots. He doesn't look at the Essenes. He doesn't look at the rabbis. He doesn't look at the pastors. He doesn't look at the elders. He doesn't look at the deacons. He doesn't look at the wealthy. He doesn't look at the politicians. He looks at the poor in spirit. He says to them, blessed are you for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Those who find themselves in a place of poverty and that poverty has not closed them off, but that poverty has opened up. That's what I think it means to be poor in spirit. People who've owned their poverty and who've faced it and who don't try to hide it, but their poverty is open and everyone is available to see their vulnerability, their difficulty, their suffering. They have a poverty that has opened them up. Beloved, this poorness here is literal. Luke describes a similar teaching that Jesus offers, but he does it in a little bit different way. He gives four blessings and four woes. Listen to the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, which seems to have the same tradition behind it that Matthew 5 to 7 do. Then he looked up, Luke 6, 20 and verse 24. And he looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. No descriptor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven here are synonymous. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Who are the recipients of blessing from the priest king? That's what priests do in the Old Testament. They bless. It's those who open up to God from their place of poverty. Mark Scandrett, a pastor in San Francisco, says this, poverty is when a person doesn't have enough or when they feel like they are not enough. Something is lacking materially or emotionally. Beloved, when something is lacking, the reign of God is uniquely available. Beloved, when something is lacking, the reign of God is uniquely available. Beloved, in pastoral ministry now for almost 20 years, I can testify to this reality. God's presence is most close when God's people are most suffering. It's during times of, of death, during times of sorrow, during times of loss and lack, that it's as if the presence of God that sometimes is hovering, the reign of God, which sometimes feels like it's hovering way above us, Something in lack, something in poverty, something in loss opens us up to his reign and his presence. When something is lacking, the reign of God is uniquely available. When something is lacking, Jesus is announcing the reign of God and inviting us to turn towards him with a similar posture. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not those who are wealthy in spirit, not those who are powerful in spirit, not those who are dominating and coercive in their spirit, but those who are poor, who have an impoverished spirit. Beloved, how does SBC receive 
Jesus' announcement? How do we be a church of and for the poor in spirit? First, we must recognize this truth. God has always pronounced blessings upon the poor in spirit. This is an important detail, especially because of some of the texts that we consider, because when we look at Psalm 1, when we look at Psalm 119, when we look at Deuteronomy 28 and other blessing and cursing texts, we can get the wrong-headed notion that the God of the Old Testament pronounced blessing on the wealthy in spirit, but now in Jesus, he's got it out for the poor in spirit. No, this has always been the case. We just haven't always known it and haven't always seen it. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. See, heaven and earth are that far away from each other. They're part of the same unit. What is the house that you would build for me and what is my resting place? All these things my hand has made and so all these things are mine, says the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. So this is this grand and glorious pronouncement of what the God in heaven is like and how powerful and majestic and authoritative and royal he is. But who is the one to whom he looks? I will look, he says, to the humble and contrite in spirit. Contrite in spirit. Those who aren't demanding with their spirit, those who aren't adversarial with their spirit, but those who are meek, contrite, humble. What did Jesus' brother James say in our reading from the epistles? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, resist the devil. The devil wants us to be prideful in spirit. Repent of that. Lament, mourn. We'll talk about mourning next week. And receive from God the contriteness of spirit. Earlier in Isaiah's prophecy, it says this. Isaiah 57, 14 and 15. It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. So this is a promise to the Babylonian exiles that they're going to get to go back home. There's coming a day when the way is going to be prepared. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. So God dwells in heaven but then there's space on earth where he also dwells. Where is it? And also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit. Why does he dwell with them? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, there's something about humility. There's something about being contrite and poor in spirit that opens us up to the healing and renewing work of God. Not to make us proudful in spirit, but to heal us to strengthen us. So we become a church of and for the poor in spirit when we are committed to this truth. God has always pronounced blessing on the poor in spirit. God has always been one who wants to inhabit the humble, who wants to be with the contrite in spirit. Beloved, I believe there is no place in all of creation where God is not actively present. Consider the spaces that you inhabit and ask, in that space, boardrooms, workspaces, schools, cafeterias, 
gymnasiums, benches on sports teams, seats on the bus. Imagine where you find yourself drawn. Do you want to find yourself drawn to the influential, the powerful, the confident, or the poor, humble, and contrite in spirit? Beloved, Jesus looks at your workspace, looks at your boardroom, looks at your gymnasium, looks at your cafeteria, looks at your church, looks in your home, and says, I find myself drawn to those who are poor in spirit. So, beloved, for SBC to receive Jesus' announcement of blessing, we must be a place of the poor in spirit. We must be a place for the poor in spirit. Now, people who are dominant, cocky, prideful, but who are humble, who are deferential, who are not demanding. Secondly, we must embrace open-handed generosity instead of closed-fisted anxiety. Here's what I mean by that. I've been blessed to receive 10 closed fists as a father. Here's what that means. God has blessed you, Linda and I, with five children. That means I have received 10 hands, 20 fingers, or 10 10 fingers on, on each one, um, but then you multiply that, that's 50, okay? And here's what I recall about every single one of those births. As we received that child into the world, every single time, their fists were clenched. Why? Because they were anxious, because their heart rates were up, because this was, this was, this was frightening to now all of a sudden leave that, that warm, safe space where everything that I was ever needed was given to me by, by, by my mother. And then now I'm leaving this warm, safe, dark place. And now it's bright lights and it's cold and it's these peoples that I don't know. And then, and then, and then it's, it's frightening. Every single time I held that newborn, their fists were always clenched. Why? Because, beloved, ever since that time, whenever we become aware of what we lack, safety, resources, warmth, there's this fallen tendency, this fallen instinct to clench our fists, and we clench them long enough, and we, our knuckles turn white, and we do this long enough, we get migraine headaches and we get tension in our necks and our shoulders become sore and then our stomach starts to knot up and then just our whole body has this anger of spirit, this clenchness of spirit that doesn't own our poverty, that doesn't open up, that doesn't face what we lack, but that clenches to, to protect us. Our first instinct when we're aware of what we lack, is to grab and grasp rather than trust and let go. Beloved, over the past now 20, 22 months, we have become aware of what we lack. We've become aware of a lack of relationship a lack of committed connection, a lack of resources. 
Beloved, can I confess how tempted I am at times to have closed fists and an anxious spirit? Beloved, so many things make me worry. I worry about what's 2022 going to hold. We thought once we got through 2020, 2021 was going to be wonderful. Beloved, I think the, the jury isn't out anymore. It seems like 2021 has been worse even than 2020. Beloved, one of the things that as I've been praying throughout the week that concerns me, one of the things that makes me worry, one of the things that makes me anxious, one of the things that causes my fists to clench, is sometimes I'm afraid that Christians are going to drive my children away from Christ. And that closes me off to loving relationships. That closes me off to others. To understand that in so many ways in our culture right now, Christians are not faithfully representing Jesus. And there's times even in my own soul where I've struggled to say I want to identify with those people. Those people who are angry, those people who are divisive, those people who are bullies, those people whose freedom to them seems to be more significant to them than love for their neighbor. And I see my children looking at this and associating it with groups of Christians. And I'm afraid that Christians are going to drive my loved ones away from Jesus. Beloved, have you seen have you seen the wisdom in Jesus announcement? Have you seen how closed-fisted anxiety is full of woe? And have you seen how open-handed generosity is full of blessing? Have you seen that when we react to awareness of what we lack with anger, with contempt, with fighting it, rather than just letting be what will be and not letting anger and lack close us off, but letting it keep us open. Beloved, why does King Jesus tell us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit? that the poor in spirit are blessed. Beloved, Jesus tells us this, not because it's some new idea, but it's something that traces its way back all the way to the heart of God. Beloved, when the king of heaven and earth was faced with the greatest of anxiety, the greatest of lack, the greatest of fear, the greatest of pain, how did he respond? Did he respond by closing himself off to others? No, he responded by opening himself up in love in the most poor of spirit thing that's ever been done. This is why Paul says to us in the Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Beloved, Psalm 37 is on Jesus' mind in these Beatitudes. Can I invite you to pray Psalm 37 with me? Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret it leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. King Jesus, we confess to you our fretting we confess to you our failure to trust in you and do good. We confess to you a lack of trust that you will give us the desires of, of, of our hearts. We confess that we have not been still, that we have not waited patiently, that we have run towards anger. We have run towards wrath and we have found their evil. We confess that we have believed the lie that it's the prideful who will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Lord Jesus, declare to us, and may your words be creative. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let us now pray together in the words that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I now invite you to receive our final benediction. And can I invite you to, in an act of rebellion against closed-fisted anxiety, to hold your hands facing upward, to receive the blessing that King Jesus wants to pronounce upon you. And now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete 
in everything good so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.